The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. Genesis chapter 1. Uh, if you have your Bibles or your apps, if you'll open them up or turn them on Genesis 1. Uh, if you've got a Bible, you don't know where it is, go to the very front and you'll find Genesis there and chapter 1, verse 1. And we're going to wrap up in Revelation 22, which is the very last book of the Bible. So we're going from the first book of the Bible all the way through the last book of the Bible. We're going to look at the whole Bible today. So hope you brought your lunch. We're going to be here for several hours. Amen. Why are you laughing? I don't know why you're laughing out there. Yeah, we're going to... Go Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. Uh, you know, we started this series on eternity four weeks ago. And uh, only as uh, God does, uh, in the past week, we have had five folks that either attend TBC or uh, the mothers of two of our folks who attend TBC have passed away. And so I have met with families over and over in the last week. Uh, Chase did one of those funerals. I'll do four of them. And... Uh, so for the Norton family, Roberta Norton sat over there at this hour, many, many Sundays. Um, Bob Olson sat right here in this section at 8.15, many, many Sundays. Uh, Kevin and Katie Bond have been part of our body for a while. They had a little baby that died in utero uh, just a week ago. Uh, Russ and Debbie Carter have been here many, many years. They were one of the original folks that were here when we came here in 1981. His mom passed away. And then our next door neighbor, uh, Kate Demmett, whose family comes week after week, she passed away. And so when I talk about eternity, guys, this is real. It's something we're faced with day by day, something that I personally have been involved in with these families uh, for many hours in the last couple of weeks. And so as we sang those songs, I just loved it, talking about 10,000 years and forevermore. We sang that song about wiping away tears and those things. It's a privilege. It's a high privilege to shepherd people through their most difficult days and to rejoice with them. And we talked yesterday at Bob Olson's memorial service how uh, we weep, but he worships. And so that's what we're talking about this morning, the new heavens and the new earth. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful that uh, we mourn, but we mourn with hope, a certain hope, a fixed hope. We're grateful, Father, that every day of our lives we have the high privilege to honor Jesus, the one who died on our behalf. And so today, as we look at staying, staying in your presence forever, Lord, would you bless this time? Would you take uh, the study that I've done and use it by your spirit to guide us into truth? In the name of Jesus, amen. So while I was studying for this, I've read uh, a lot of stuff and listened to a lot of people. And one of the articles I ran across is an article entitled, Heaven or Hawaii? Heaven or Hawaii? Well, it got my attention. Wouldn't it get your attention? I mean, a, a title like that. And the author said, the thought of being a sexless, chubby cherub playing a harp on fluffy clouds for all of eternity does not really appeal to me. In fact, given the choice between heaven being like that or Hawaii, I would choose Hawaii. Fun in the sun, beaches, fishing, hiking, surfing, uh, uh, can't read, okay, they can't read his writing, uh, scuba diving, snorkeling, or playing the harp or singing in a never-ending worship service, I would choose Hawaii. In fact, I ran across this cartoon, and uh, uh, here it is right here, uh, this guy floating on the clouds saying, I wish I'd brought a magazine. Well, if that's our vision of what eternity looks like, maybe you choose Hawaii. I, I think the vision of what eternity looks like has been painted wrongly for many times. Maybe from the time we are kids growing up in Sunday school thinking we're going to be angels playing harps with halos in heaven. But that's not the case. 
In fact, what we're going to see in the scriptures, what we saw the first week is when we depart from this life, and the word depart meant, you remember, ship setting sail. It also meant an exodus, an exodus into the presence of God. We saw that to be absent from the body is to be what? Present with the Lord. And Jesus turned to the thief on the cross, and he didn't say 10 years or 20 years or 1,000 years or 10,000 years, you'll be with me in paradise. But he said what? Today you'll be with me in paradise. And so we, we go to this place where we're with the Savior, and, and then time passes, and we have no idea how much time. But what happens after that is uh, Paul talks about the resurrection of the body in 1 Corinthians 15. And just as Christ is resurrected, so will we be resurrected. And one day there'll be this great and glorious day when the body's resurrected. It meets a soul that we have, and we spend eternity in this place called the new heaven and new earth. So what is that? That's where we're staying for all of eternity. What is a new heaven and new earth? Where is it? What do we do? Next week, I'm going to seek to answer a lot of questions that I don't think I can answer, honestly. But I'm going to try and answer those questions. If you follow me on Facebook, you can send some questions to me, and I'll answer those. I've got about 50 of them already that I don't think I can answer, so just add to the pile, and we'll do it. But this morning, I want to focus on the new heaven and new earth. What is it? Two weeks ago, I talked about leaving and how we're all going to die. Last week, Chase talked about the resurrected body. So this week, we talk about the new heavens and the new earth. What are these? Well, I've got a confession to start with. Most of my life, I thought one day this planet, Earth, would be blown up. It would be destroyed. It'd be set on fire, is what I read in Second Peter. And then God would create a whole new universe. And that universe would include the new heavens and new earth. And it had nothing to do with our present location, nothing to do with terra firma, where we are right now, our planet, our earth. I, I believed it was all going to be taken away. How many of you believe that now or grew up believing that? Let me see your hands. Six of us are honest. So what do the rest of you think? I want to hear. Because <laughs> that's what I'm preaching on right now. I mean, that's what I thought. Didn't you think that? That everything would be destroyed and everything would be brand new, uh, made brand new by God. Well, as I've been reading and studying over the years and listening to friends, and uh, I've read uh, John Piper, Tim Keller, Randy Alcorn, Wayne Grudem, Anthony Hokema, and Matt Chandler all in the last couple of weeks on New Heaven and New Earth. My one good eye is really tired right now. <laughs> and I've got a confession. I believe now I now believe that the earth we read about in the scriptures is our earth, our planet, redeemed and restored. I, I believe that. And I'm hopefully going to walk you through that, and we're going to take a look at that and see what God's word teaches. I believe this is a lot about God's redemption of creation. God's redemption of creation. Genesis 1.1, you can quote it with me. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So we read about creation and God creates it. And uh, then we go down to verse 26 and we did a whole series uh, uh, focusing on verse 26 of Genesis 1, where it says there, uh, then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness, let them rule over the fish of the, uh, fish of the sea, et cetera, et cetera. God said in verse 27, God created man in his image, in the image of God, he created him male and female, he created them. This is the Imago Dei. We spent three months looking at the Imago Dei, the image of God and man, that we bear the image of God. And when we did that and studied that, we saw that God concluded in ver the last verse of chapter one, God saw all that he had made and behold, it was what? Very good. He puts the adjective very in front of it. Everything that he saw was very good. God looked at all of creation. He looked at mankind, the Imago Dei, and he says, this isn't just good, it's very good. 
Now, if the story stopped there, it would be a great story, wouldn't it? Be a great story that all the world was right. Everything was good. There was no sin, no suffering, no death, no disease, no divorce, no depression, no disasters. But as you know, it doesn't stop there. In Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve are tempted. And as they're tempted, you know the story and what takes place. So they, they are tempted by Satan who comes in the form of a serpent. <clears throat> they partake of the forbidden fruit. And God begins to look for them. It says in verse 8, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden. This is Genesis chapter 3, <clears throat> verse 8. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Now, two people on the planet playing hide and seek with God. Who's going to win that battle? And then he goes on and he says, the Lord God called out to them and said, where are you? Now, did God have to ask that question? Of course not. He's wanting an answer. And so uh, he said, notice he said, that's Adam, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. So they were hiding themselves. He says, this is why we hid ourselves. We, hid, we, we were naked. And who told you you were naked, asked God. Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? And Adam manned up, right? I mean, Adam, he speaks up first. He manned up. He said, God, I did it. It's my fault. Ladies, is that what he said? Ladies, what what did he say? You can answer this for me. What what did Adam say? The woman you gave me. In that one sentence, Adam blames God and his wife for sin. I mean, he does it. He says, the woman blaming her that you, blaming God, gave to me. God, it's not my fault. Wasn't for her, we wouldn't be in this predicament. Wasn't for you giving her to me, we wouldn't be here. I mean, that's what he's saying in it. And then Eve says, well, God, it was me. I picked the fruit and I gave it to Adam. It's my fault. Is that what Eve did? What did Eve say? The snake. The snake. So they begin passing the buck in the garden when sin took place. And we've been passing the buck ever since. Blaming others for our sin. Blaming others for where we are. And when Adam and Eve fell, it registered on the Richter scale of humanity because when they fell, not only did they fall, but we fell because we were in them. We've looked at that a bunch of times. And not only did that happen, but curses were placed. Curses were placed upon woman. In what, ladies? In pain, you shall have children. Can I get an amen from the ladies on that one? Any of you ladies ever have a painless birth? painless birth. Well, with modern anesthesia and stuff, you may not remember some of it, but I I mean, here's the reality. When when Bev gave birth, I almost passed out. I mean, that's how painful it was for her. And and so the reality of in pain, you shall, you shall have pain in childbirth. Secondly, to the man, he says, uh, no more, Adam, are you going to walk into the garden, pick what you want, and it's going to grow right. In fact, now you're going to have to toil by the sweat of your brow, you will toil. And to the snake, he says, uh, you're going to crawl on your belly all the rest of the days of your life. And there's an interesting curse as well. So you can understand why Adam would be cursed. You can understand why Eve would be cursed. You can understand why the serpent would be cursed. But what else is cursed? The ground. The ground. Pretty interesting, isn't it? Cursed is the ground because of you, Adam and Eve. We understand Satan, the tempter, being cursed. We understand Adam and Eve being cursed because they partook of the forbidden fruit and they traded fellowship with God for the fruit of, for the fruit of a tree. They traded fellowship with God for a piece of fruit. They could at least have a steak or something like that. But then the ground is cursed. So there's this great divide, this great separation between man and God. 
Matt Chandler writes it this way in his book, The Explicit Gospel. The harmony that Adam and Eve enjoyed with God's creation, the peaceful dominion they were given over it is now broken. The fracture between Adam and creation reflects the fracture between God and Adam. Where Adam's work was toilless, now it's toilsome. While the earth was once wonderfully subdued, it now yields grudgingly. Where it was once only fruitful and abundant, it now offers the challenge of thorns and thistles. And while Adam was once bestowed with an imperishable flesh, his sin limits the lifespan of the body. We're all going to die now because of Adam and Eve's sin. Before that, we were imperishable, but now death has taken place. Having rejected God's blessing, he was, he was chose to place his hope. He chose to place his hope in the dust from which he was fashioned. Sin separated us from God. Sin introduced pain. Sin introduced jealousy, sin introduced greed, sin introduced physical death, sin introduced spiritual death. When Adam and Eve fell, everything was cursed. The curse was placed upon the earth. The curse was placed upon us. And that sin has spread to every single one of us who's ever walked on this planet. So the ground is cursed, the serpent is cursed, Adam is cursed, Eve is is cursed, We're, we're cursed. And then Paul writes about that a little further in Romans chapter 8. So you fast forward to Romans chapter 8, and Paul says this, For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into freedom and glory of the children of God. So look at that, creation itself creation, the world, the earth, where we live. Creation itself will one day be liberated from bondage, from its bondage to to decay. One day, all of creation will be, the New American Standard that I'm using says, set free. All of creation one day will be set free. That the earth groans, it says in Romans chapter 8. It groans. All of creation groans to be liberated one day. And one day, I'm convinced, not only will we, but also our planet be liberated. It'll be redeemed and restored by God. The story of of the Bible is creation, fall, redemption, restoration. And when I read through that, I see it's the liberation and the freedom from bondage to decay. So we might ask the question, so why was this curse placed upon the ground to begin with? I mean, you ever thought about that? Why? John Piper, one of the authors I was reading, who recently retired from Bethlehem uh, Baptist Church in Minneapolis, uh, wrote these words. He said, why did God subject the natural order to such futility because of the sin of human beings? So human sin and the ground is cursed, the earth is cursed. Human sin, but Paul says the creation was subjected to futility. The creation was put in bondage to corruption. Why? God himself said, cursed be the ground because of you, Genesis 3.17, that we just read. Why? Why are there natural disasters in creation in response to men's moral failures? Why not just simple, simple death for all the guilty of Adam's offspring? Why don't we die? Why does everything, why does all this happen? Why are there hurricanes that hit coasts and wipe out cities and kill people? Why are there tornadoes? Why are there afflictions? Why is there disease? Why does all this exist on our planet? Why not just simple death? Why this bloody kaleidoscope of horrific suffering century after century? Why are so many children born with heart-wrenching disabilities? My answer, he says, is that God put the natural world under a curse so that the physical horrors we see around us and disease and calamity would become vivid pictures of how horrible our sin is. In other words, natural evil is a signpost pointing to unspeakable horror of moral evil. Let me put it this way. A hurricane hits the Texas coast, we should have two responses. One, we pray and minister to those that are affected. Secondly, it should be a reminder of the curse. 
It should be a reminder that because of the curse, things are not right here in hurricanes or on our planet. We read about tornadoes in Tornado Alley up in Texas, uh, North Texas, and in Oklahoma or Missouri, wherever it might be. And when we read about those natural disasters, it should cause us to do things, reach out, minister, and pray to those in need, but be reminded that we live in a fallen world that is cursed, and the result is we are separated from God. You've been praying for me for four and a half years. Cancer comes. It should be a reminder to me and a reminder to you, week after week after week, of two things. First of all, I appreciate your praying for me. But secondly, it's a reminder we live in a fallen world. One day all things will be made right, but it's not right right now. And it should be a constant reminder of the evil and sin in our world. And it should be a reminder as we look at folks with disabilities and folks with handicap and all these dear friends who've lost loved ones this week, that things here are not right. But one day... God will make all things right. Amen? One day it'll be set right. One day, as Paul says, it'll be set right. Liberation will take place and we will be set free. Right now, every human being dies. Right now, we suffer. Right now, uh, even animals suffer and die. Hurricanes flood cities. Tornadoes take lives. Avalanche kills skiers. Disease kills people. Babies die. Crops fail. People starve. That's the reality of a fallen world. And it all started back in the garden. But what happens? What do you do when you look at a parent of a 14-year-old who will never think more than a 3-year-old? Disabled. What do you tell a family when you sit with them in the room and their spouse has just passed away? What do you tell them? What do you tell the, the person in the wheelchair or the walker who's been debilitated by heart disease, by stroke. What what do you tell them? What hope do you give them? What do you tell the person who's suffering from mental illness? Hard to make day after day. You tell them the rest of Romans chapter 8 is what you tell them. Because you see in Romans chapter 8, as Paul's writing, he says all of creation will be set free from its slavery to corruption and to freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know now all of creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth. And not only this, but we ourselves, being the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons to the redemption of our body, for in hope we have been saved, hope in things not seen, but things that are not seen, but the hope that is to come. And so what we recognize is there is a hope that is coming when Jesus sets all things right, when he redeems everything. And when things are finally set right, and then there'll be no pain, no suffering, no disease, none of these things will exist. And some of you say, well, what about these passages, Pastor Gary? But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire, the earth, and everything will be laid bare. That sounds like destruction to me, doesn't to you? Well, Pastor Gary, you just said this can be a redemption of this earth, but that sounds like it's going to be gone away. And then Revelation 21.1, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. Sure sounds like things are going to be redone. Sure sounds like things are not going to be redone, but rather destroyed and taken back. What do you do with these things? Anthony Hokema says this, if God were to annihilate the present cosmos, Satan wins a great victory. Satan would have succeeded in devastating and corrupting the present cosmos so badly that God could do nothing with it but to blot it out totally. But Satan does not win. 
The victory is Jesus. He rose from the grave. The head of Satan was squashed. God will reveal the full dimensions of that defeat when he renews everything on this earth. John Piper puts it this way. When I read 2 Peter 3.10 and Revelation 21.1 and it talks about passing away, it doesn't mean that they go out of existence. It does mean there will be such a change in their present condition that these things have passed away. We're trying to describe the indescribable. That's what we're trying to do. How do you describe a new heaven and a new earth when it's not even something we've experienced? We read about it, we know about it, but we try and describe it. It reminds me of one author who I read said, when I try and describe new heaven and new earth, it's like trying to describe to my four-year-old what his honeymoon will be like. If I were to tell Andrew, Andrew, when you grow up, you're going to get married and your honeymoon will be one of the most delightful and pleasant experiences of your life. Andrew would look at me and say, wonderful, can I take my toy dinosaur with me, dad? Uh, no, but you're probably going to have a fantastic time without your toy dinosaur. Then that means Jeffrey, my, the, the other four-year-old that lives next door, it means Jeffrey can, can come and play with me on my honeymoon. Well, no, son, you're not going to want Jeffrey on your honeymoon. Then you and mom are going to come with me on my honeymoon. Believe me, that's the last person you're going to want on your honeymoon. How do you explain the unexplainable? Well, you look at what God's Word says, and what I believe it says is that this new heaven and new earth are going to pass away, and we're not even going to remember these things. They're not going to come to our mind, Isaiah 65, 17. And that one day we'll be in His presence, and one day this new heaven and new earth will be created, and here's what's going to happen. He's going to wipe away every tear. There'll be no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain, for the old order of things have what? Passed away. And so here's what's going to happen, my friends. We're going to enter into the presence of our Savior. And everything we have seen here is going to pass away. Next week, I'm going to talk a lot more, answer these questions, and talk a lot more of what I think this new Jerusalem is going to be like, this new heaven and new earth. In the meantime, I think what's going to happen is this pleasant place will be redeemed by our Savior who defeated the evil one. And we'll read about the corruption of creation in Romans chapter 8, and we'll read about creation groaning, the groan quits. And here's why it quits. It quits because the curse is lifted. I want you to go all the way to the last book of the Bible. I told you we go from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. We skipped a couple of chapters in there. One of my favorite verses in the scripture is Revelation 22, the first part of verse 3. If you're writing your Bibles, get your pens ready. If you're using your device, get the underline ready. Because it says here in verse 3, Revelation 22, and there shall no longer be any curse. Let me say that again. There shall no longer be any curse. Amen? The curse is gone. It's set free. No more greed, no more jealousy, no more anger, no more sexual immorality, no more lusting, no more coveting, no more fighting, no more hatred, no more screaming, no more heart disease, no more strokes, no more cancer, no more weeds, no more thorns, no more hunger, no more poverty, no more exploitation. The curse is removed. Underline the curse. It's gone. It's taken away. And glory, hallelujah, we should shout and scream. It's done. It's over. Amen. All things will be as God intended them to be. Everything will be made right. Everything. In a few weeks, we're going to start singing, not this Sunday, two Sundays, and then we'll start singing Christmas carols. 
One of my favorite Christmas carols, Joy to the World. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. Let heaven and nature sing. Let heaven and nature sing. I'd start singing it, but you'd leave if you heard my voice. You know what the third verse says? No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. Where'd that come from? Genesis 3. He comes to make his blessings flow. For as the curse is found. So the great news is this. The great news is this. Even though we are under a curse, his blessings flow because he has come to this planet. His blessings flow because he was incarnated. His blessings flow because he died not for his sins but for our sins. And his blessings flow to us because he was resurrected from the grave. And therefore, one day, as Genesis 3.15 says, he will bruise you on your heel, but you shall crush him on his head. And that day has already come. The victory has been won. There's no doubt about who wins that because it took place at the resurrection. It took place at the resurrection. We live in the now and the not yet. The not yet is when he brings in this new heaven and new earth and everything is set right everything yeah Bev and I we were driving back uh, from a little trip last weekend and uh, she starts laughing I said what's so funny babe we had stopped at Chick-fil-a driving back from the airport and she said your sandwich is right in front of you but I can't see it see I see my hand my friends when it gets about right here so if you're over there I have no idea who you are you can go ahead and take your nap I mean unless I turn my head I can't even see you and so she starts laughing said babe your sandwich is right there I've got it for you I'm you know driving down the interstate and so we start talking, and she said, babe, what's it like not to be able to see me anymore over here? I mean, she's sitting next to me. I, I can't see her ever. And I said, honestly, babe, I, I don't remember what it's like. I mean, my brain's adjusted. And uh, so I, she said, what's it like to have one eye and not be able to see? And I said, I, I, I don't remember. I mean, it's been four and a half years, and so um, I, I have no idea what it was like. I can't remember that. I'm studying this. And thinking, one day, you know what's going to happen? I'm going to see you again. I'll see you guys over here. Well, not over here. We'll be up there or here somewhere. (laughs) But, you know, I mean, it's a small thing. It's not a big thing. God's adjusted to all that. And he's been gracious with that. But here's the reality. You want to know what you tell a parent whose 14-year-old child is developmentally 3-year-old? One day he's going to be set free. You know what you tell that young man who is sitting right where Joe Palmer is sitting right there in a wheelchair in the aisle? Struggling with cerebral palsy, can't talk, can't walk. One day, young man, you're going to be liberated and set free. And to my friends who sat in that row right there, whose mama died two days ago, she was set free. And one day, greed, the anger, the hatred, the disease will be set free. Because the curse will be lifted. It'll be a glorious day. It'll be a glorious day. So sin and sickness and disease and physical death and spiritual death and crying and all that is gone. But I don't want us to forget one thing. What makes heaven heaven is God's presence. See, I've talked a lot about us. I've talked a lot about pain and suffering and all that. And the scriptures bear it out. We need to talk about that. But what makes heaven heaven is not us. What makes heaven heaven is him. And that's what Revelation, the next couple of verses, talk about. He says, there shall no longer be any curses. Revelation 22, 3. And the throne of God and the Lamb shall be in it. And his bondservant shall serve him. That's us. And they shall see him. 
face to face. Face to face with Christ my Savior. Face to face. What shall it be? Face to face when I behold him. Jesus Christ who died for me. Great old hymn of the faith. When I was a kid, we sang a song. It'll be worth it all when we see Jesus. One glimpse of his dear face, all sorrow will erase. So bravely run the race till we see Christ. One day, we're going to see our Savior face to face. And everything in this earth, in this world, will pass away because the curse will be gone. And when that happens, everything will be right. No more disease, no more death, physical or spiritual, no more divorce, no more depression, no more discouragement, no more disasters. But face to face with our Savior, blessed by Him. Next week, I'm going to spend a whole lot of time talking about this new city, this new home that we're going to have, this new Jerusalem. What I want to point out is that it comes down. If you look at Revelation chapter 21, it talks about it coming down. Down would be where we are. And so it's a further description of our planet being redeemed and restored. My friends, it's not the streets of gold. It's not the jasper walls. It's not the pearly gates that make heaven attractive. It's the presence of God, the presence of our Father, Son, Spirit where we'll be with him. Uh, Johnny Erickson's one of my heroes, Johnny Erickson. Tata, you know the story. She was uh, 17 years old, dove in the Chesapeake Bay. She was a swimmer, diver, but she did not do what was wise, and let's find out what was under the water. She went straight into a rock, and she became a quadriplegic, paralyzed from the neck down. 17 years old. Now she's in her 60s. She looks like this now. She's an artist. She paints with her teeth because she doesn't have hands at work. She's never been out of that wheelchair, I mean, never, never been able to walk since she's 17. Somebody has to lift her out. Somebody has to do everything for her. She wrote a book on heaven. It's one of the books I've read in the past couple of months. What got my attention were these words by Johnny Erickson Tata. I can hardly believe it. I, with the shriveled bent fingers, the atrophied muscles, the gnarled knees, no feeling from my shoulders down in over 40 years, will one day have a new body, light, bright, clothed in righteousness, powerful and dazzling. I cannot wait to dance, to run, to leap on my own. Can you imagine the hope this gives someone with a spinal cord injury like me? Can you imagine what this means to somebody with cerebral palsy, brain injury, who's been, who suffers from a stroke or multiple sclerosis? Imagine the hope this gives to someone who's manic depressive, who's schizophrenic, that all things will be right. No other religion, no other philosophy promises new bodies, new hearts, and minds. Only in the gospel of Jesus Christ will all things be made right. The curse is lifted. We join him forever. And all things are right. Father, what a day that'll be when you make all things right. A day when we'll see the death of death the end of pain. The only tears will be those of joy. A day when there'll be no suffering, no greed, no lust, no envy. A day that'll last forever, 10,000 years and forevermore. In your presence, doing your bidding, doing your work, not bored, but praising and doing your work in the name of Jesus. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for teaching us through your spirit. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Go and tell others of the hope of heaven.